Good morning, everybody. Welcome. And uh, you can find a seat. We're going to get started. Um, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians. You can always scan our QR code. Our digital bulletin is always back there. You click on that. It'll take you to kind of our bulletin series page, all that stuff that you need. There's a place you can click on the scripture link. But we are still doing our series in 2 Corinthians. Uh, we'll be doing this for most of the fall. Uh, actually, all the fall going into the first part of December. And remember, Paul, who is an apostle, he, his life was radically transformed by Jesus. Um, he was persecuting Christians, killing Christians for a living, actually. He was actually commissioned to do that, to go around the Roman Empire and get rid of this Christian twisting of what they thought was the Bible, the Old Testament. And now Paul is converted. He's been planting these churches. The church in Corinth was one of these churches he planted, and he's written letters back to them. And he's writing this letter to tell them that, hey, I want you to remember that the God that you serve is a God of comfort. He's the God of all comfort. You're not going to find comfort in any of the other things of this world. You're not going to find it in a job. You're not going to find it in a spouse. You're not going to find true comfort, the true comfort of God anywhere except in him. And Paul spends his life giving this message. And if you remember, he plants the Corinthian church. He writes several letters to them, a couple of those, at least one of those, maybe two of those letters, if he wrote two, are lost. He traveled, then he had to come back to confront sin in the church because they were trusting in their own ability to solve problems. They were trusting in their own ways, not knowing what God's word said because they were Gentiles or former Jews. And so they were twisting the word of God. And so Paul had to make some painful visits. He made a painful visit to kind of confront them on some really serious issues. And then he writes 2 Corinthians, this book, after first and the other lost letter, he writes 2 Corinthians, and this is a book where he's saying, you know what, after all we've been through, after all we've been through, I am so comforted by God, and I'm so comforted by your response to God and your repentance, and you saying, you know what, we do and we will believe that God is the only place where we can find everything we need. And so he's writing this last letter to them to basically thank them, to say, man, keep it up. Um, and to tell them, hey, I'm going to come visit you. And this time when I come visit you, I'm excited about it because I get to just come and celebrate. I don't have to come and deal with anything. I don't have to come to the problems because you've dealt with the problems. How great would it be in relationships if we are so at comfort and peace with relationships because we know we've dealt with everything? There's nothing hidden, nothing we haven't talked about. There's, there's no backroom discussions like, nope, we've had it out. We've gone to God's word. We've repented. We've, we've done the best we can, the scripture says, to live at peace with one another as long as it depends on us. Man, if we were doing relationships that way, it would be so comforting. But unfortunately, sin, our own flesh, the devil himself gets involved and doesn't allow us to experience comfort. Because he doesn't, because look, if, if, he can, if, if our enemy can make you miserable, he can't take your salvation away. He can't take you out of God's hands, but he can keep you from taking anyone else with you. He can keep you from giving anyone else comfort. And that's his goal. He knows you're his, but he's like, if I can keep him from fighting in the war, he won't win any battles. And he'll die on the battlefield. And that's good enough for me. And that's exactly where we find ourselves. Last week, we talked about that. We talked about death and the idea of Jesus even saying that there's great comfort in death. A verse that I love that I didn't share last week is in Ecclesiastes that says, a good name is better than fine perfume and the day of one's death better than the day of one's birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning and weeping than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. And the living, those of us who are alive, should take to heart the reality of death. We looked at that last week. Paul laid that out in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 going into chapter 5. This week, what I want us to think about and look at, because see, once we realize there's this death we have to experience, there's this dying to ourselves and actually living to Christ, and there's actually something comforting about watching and experiencing death. 
And I know you probably don't believe that because most of you in this room are very young and most of you in this room have never experienced the death of someone really close to you. My whole life was death. I mean, at five years old, I found my grandfather dead. We lost five classmates out of a class of 80 students. That's how big my class was. And from eighth grade, from seventh grade to our senior year, we had five students die in a small rural high school in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. You talk about wrecking a community and really causing you to deal with the reality of life and death. I lost all of my grandparents. My sister died. Like, death was a reality in my life. But see, here's the key. The reason that we have to understand that is because we have to understand that the only way, because what we're going to talk about this morning, is the ministry of reconciliation. That's a big word. I'm going to help you define it and understand what it means. The ministry of reconciliation is what Paul says you and I as believers, have been given because we understand death. We understand that death is coming, the death of our bodies, the death of our flesh, and we understand that life is coming, which we talked about last week. That, that, that true living is found in risking it all, giving your life. That's where true living is found. That's where true comfort is found. But we think comfort is found in not going to war, not doing battle, taking it easy. That is not true comfort. You're going to end up miserable, which is why our depression and suicide and anxiety rates in our culture today are off the charts because we live in a culture that's trying to tell you, just be comfortable, be comfortable. We'll take care of you. We'll send you money. Don't challenge our authority. We're doing what? That's what we live in. And God's like, no, 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 I've given you the ministry of reconciliation and reconciling things means you have to do battle. It's a process. And so if you want to be a minister of reconciliation that Paul says, and also an ambassador, which we'll look at this morning, and to truly understand what it means to be about the God of all comfort, I'm telling you, you've got to get to this place where you understand the ministry of reconciliation. So... What is reconciliation? It's a big word. Here's what it means. It's the state or identity, okay? So it's an identity. It's the state. It's who you are. It's the state of being reconciled. Don't you love when you give that definition to someone? They're like, oh, that's not helpful, right? You do that. You did that when you were in school, right? You look it up in the dictionary and you say to your teacher, it's the state of being reconciled. And she's like, what's reconciled mean? I don't know, but that's what it is, right? So it's the state. In other words, it's the identity that you have of understanding that you have been made right, that you've been reconciled back to God, which we're going to look at. So it's the state of being resigned to something undesirable or the process of achieving this state. It's the acceptance of it. So being reconciled is kind of this acceptance of, I realize that this is my state in life. I, I accept and I understand that this is just the way life is. I, I understand that this is the decision I've made. I understand this is who I am now. And Paul understood that. He had to leave everything, all of his relationships. He went from being the most popular guy among the Jews to everyone wanting to kill him because he accepted his identity in Jesus, the new state that he became, because the ministry of what Jesus did in his life to reconcile him back to God transformed him. And he couldn't get away from it. And so reconciliation, there's an identity. We talked about this a few weeks ago, your identity in Christ. What does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be a son or a daughter of God? What does it mean to, to, to have forgiveness? All of these things, that's what it is. It's the acceptance saying, I accept that this is my lot. This is what it means. I'm going to reconcile life. It makes sense. Reconciling, that's what it means. So again, if it's the state of being reconciled, Okay, then what does reconcile mean? It's the act, the works. So there's reconciliation, which is the state, but to get to reconciliation, someone or something had to reconcile things for reconciliation. So what does reconcile mean? It means to restore to friendship or harmony, to make consistent or, con or congruous, to cause to submit or to accept something unpleasant. 
to account for a finance, like, like a financial issue against another for accuracy. The act of causing two people or groups to become friendly again after an argument or a disagreement. The action of making a view or belief compatible with another and the act of coming to an understanding and putting an end to hostility as when former enemies agree to act amicably in truce. This is what being reconciled or reconcile means. So you've got reconciliation, okay, the state of being reconciled, and then you've got what reconcile means. You don't like reconciliation, and you don't like reconcile. You want to know why? How many of you have a budget and you check it every month and make sure that you spend exactly what you were supposed to spend and you reconcile your checkbook and you make sure that your accounts match what the bank has and what you've done and all of your finances. Probably very few of you. And that's why our world's in a mess because we hate reconciliation because it holds us accountable. We hate it. Don't tell me how to spend my money. I mean, if I got, it, I got money this month. There it is. I got money. But there could be something coming that you need, like, are you prepared for when bad happens? Because bad's going to happen. I mean, it, Murphy's going to move in your bedroom, right? Murphy's Law. He's coming in. He likes to come in and just, he lounges on your couch, he eats your food, he does all kinds of stuff to you. That's Murphy, right? You all have a Murphy in your life, maybe even a physical person. But anyway, and you don't plan for it, that means that you don't understand the ministry of reconciliation. You don't accept what the Bible says about the world and about God because you're not being responsible with what God has entrusted to you. And so the reason we don't understand this ministry of reconciliation and the reason we practice it terribly as a church is because we won't be reconciled to God and we won't allow him to reconcile our time, our talent, our treasure, or our stories we tell. We, we won't allow God to take us through those four things and reconcile them to him. We want to tell the stories we want to tell, not the, the ones he asks us. We don't even know his stories. We don't even read the Bible half the time to know what he says. Does this make sense? And so when we talk about the ministry of reconciliation, what we actually do in most of our culture, tune into this, most of our culture is not the ministry of reconciliation, it's the ministry of ignoring. It's the ministry of improper peacemaking. It's the ministry of enabling. That's what we practice, the ministry of enabling. Well, you got Jesus, good, good job, well done. You prayed to receive Jesus, you got baptized. Well done, good, okay, next person. Got that? Check that guy off. Okay, okay. yes, they've been reconciled because of what Jesus has done. We don't earn salvation, but they don't understand what it means to allow the world to see the process of reconciliation in their life. That's dangerous to the world. And so that's exactly what we want to look at this morning. The reason I start with that is because we're not going to get to reconciliation for a couple of verses here. And so Paul's building his case to this ministry. Let's jump in. 2 Corinthians 5, 6. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And we are confident and satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. You see, a lot of people take this verse in modern Christianity and they say, okay, I'm confident to know that while, we're at, while I'm at home in the body, in other words, I'm not dead yet, I'm still here, I'm at home in this body, someday I'm going to die, I'm going to be with Jesus and be with the Lord, okay? So it's, it's that whole death, life thing that we looked at last week. He says, for we walk by faith and not by sight, and that's why most people are not on a budget. Well, I'm just, I'm just walking by faith. I just, I just trust the Lord, he's going to bring it in. It's going to come off the trees. I'm going to go outside and there's going to be a money tree and pull it off and take it and pay my bills. But look at what Paul does. See, Paul knew you were going to think that way. He knew I would think that way. He knew that the people were reading this. So he says, 
after he lays this out and says, no, 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 it's right to want to be with the Lord. It's right to think by faith and it's about God and not just look around and say whatever works, whatever feels good. He goes, that's all good. But he says, therefore, whether you are at home in this earth, in this body, or whether you're away, in other words, Jesus takes you to heaven, the primary thing you need to be about is pleasing God. Because here's the deal. If that isn't your primary aim, you will mess up the ministry of reconciliation because you will be reconciled to people you should not be reconciled to. You will make up your own bank account numbers that don't match the actual heavenly bank in heaven. And that bank always wins, just like the bank here always wins. You walk into the bank and say, hey, my numbers don't match. I think I have a million dollars in the bank. And like, uh, no, you're overdrawn a thousand in your bank account and we're coming after you. Nope, I got a million. I believe it by faith. That's nice, but we'll be knocking on your door soon. Like, I mean, I, and that's kind of the way people do Christianity. They, it's like we throw the practical out. We, we don't think about, like Paul says, do you really make it your aim to say, man, I really want to know how to please God. You ready for this? Because I understand all that Jesus did for me to reconcile me back to him. My only response to a God that has saved my soul, that keeps me alive every day, that gives me breath, that hasn't destroyed me because I deserve it, is just to say thank you by being obedient to him. Again, the reason I know that we're probably not serious about the ministry of reconciliation is because you probably don't even read your Bible and think, man, how could I obey this great, loving, kind, wonderful God today for all he's done for me? Most of you go to the Bible because you got a problem you want fixed and you bounce around to try to find an answer. And then when God doesn't fix it, you're ticked off at him because you were supposed to reconcile this and you didn't, so now I'm mad at you. I'm giving up. I'm done with this Christianity thing. If you treated any other relationship that way, it'd be a disaster. And yet, we think God's okay with that? Look, do you make it your aim to be pleasing to God? Do you even know what pleases God and doesn't please God? Do you even know your Bible? Or do you just listen to some guy tell you what pleases God? And today it's like, well, found out today that I can't eat sugar because that doesn't please God. That's what the guy, the Christian guy, the diet guy that I saw online on Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram. I mean, he's pretty popular. He's selling millions of books. So sugar must be from the devil. You don't think this happens every day? It, it happens all the time. And so you've got to be really, really careful. Look at, and here's the key. You've got to be serious about how you think and about your heart. Look at some of these verses. In Colossians, Paul writes this. So in other places, here's what Paul says. He says, set your minds on what is above, not, as what, not on what is on the earth. How often do you think about how awesome God is and how wonderful he is and all he's done for you? That you are so consumed with him that your mind is just constantly, probably not much. Because all we're thinking about is here all the time. We're not thinking about reconciling the world back to God. We're telling God, you need to come make the world the way we want it. All the time. And we get mad at him when he doesn't. You didn't give me this. You didn't do this. Why did I do this? Instead of going, okay, it, it's your minute. You're in charge. And I should be about knowing that someday the Bible says Jesus is going to come back and reconcile everything to himself. And if you're not ready for that moment, you're going to be bankrupt. That's what the Bible says. And it's not about you doing works to get ready. It's about you trusting Christ, putting your identity in him, and allowing him to do the work of the ministry of reconciliation through you. That's what it's about. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4 too. It says, for you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification. That means to make you more like God, to make you more holy. Most of us want to avoid looking more like Jesus and more holy. Because we don't want to stand out. We don't want to be different. I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to lose the comfort that I have. And so I'm, I, I, I got to be real careful what I say, where I say, when I say, because can you imagine if Jesus walked around like that? And we read like the gospels and it was like, yeah, he went into the temple and he felt really bad for everybody that they were doing money the wrong way and trading money. And the, so he prayed for him and he walked out. 
That's not what Jesus did. Jesus went into the temple. He took leather and probably bone or metal shards with him. And he sat down and during the church service like you're doing, he made a whip while the service was going on. Like you were sitting there doing some crochet, only you're making a leather whip. And then after the service was over, Jesus got up, he took the whip, and he whipped everyone out of the temple and threw over the table. I saw a really cool thing uh, this week. Um, I sent it to one of the guys in our church because he's super into AI stuff that's going on. And uh, they asked the AI bot to create, a, a, um, create an image of Jesus flipping over the tables and the money changers in the temple. And it showed Jesus on the stage with a table full of money in front of him and he was doing a backflip over the table. But if we're really honest... We're more like that AI bot and get it wrong than we are that we get it right. We would rather have a Jesus that comes into our service all excited and wonderful doing backflips than a Jesus that comes into our church or comes into our home and starts throwing over tables because he loves us. And this isn't right and you're hurting people and this is not reconciling people back to God. You're making my father a sham. See, we don't know how to deal with that Jesus, but we like backflip Jesus. And where does AI get its information to make Jesus a back flipper instead of a table flipper and, and whip? Because it gathers the information from where? The internet. So when AI looked all over the internet to find a Jesus that was trying to reconcile his people back to himself, he found a table flipping party in Jesus. And that's what he just made an image of. Because the church isn't, doesn't like that Jesus. Obviously, it's not enough on the internet because the AI bot didn't find it. It just produces what it finds. He goes on. Paul says, For I know, for, I now, for am I now trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I striving to please people? For if I were still striving to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. If my aim is to try to please people all the time and try to get to the next level and do the next thing, listen, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus wasn't trying to be hated. He just said, you know, God's first, you're second. That's what Jesus did and people didn't like it because they wanted Jesus to be about them. They wanted God to be about their will be done, not his will be done. And so again, if you're trying to please people, if you're trying to bring reconciliation by being nice to everyone and just please everyone, and you're not willing to lovingly, humbly tell the truth to people and cause conflict so that they can be reconciled back to God, that is a serious issue. And it's a serious issue in the church because we won't do it. And then he goes on in Ephesians, he says, don't, don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but as slaves of Christ... Do God's will from your heart. Do you do God's will from your heart or do you do God's will because you're afraid you're going to get smacked by God if you don't do it? Like, is it from your heart? You're like, man, I really want to obey what God says about sex because I just know that intimacy with him is like so much better than sex will ever be. And I really don't care about sex because I just love how intimate I am with God and how beautiful and wonderful he is. Our world doesn't say that. You realize Jesus lived 30 years. He never had sex. It wasn't a need in his life. He had intimacy with the Father. He didn't, want to use, he didn't have to use anybody for help because he was God. Do we need help? Yes. But we are not to use people. Same with money. Same thing. Like Paul was all about, he's like, don't just do your money when people are like, do your money in a way that people aren't watching and you give. I mean, there's a story in the Bible of a widow who puts a penny in the offering and Jesus stops the church service, the, the temple service. He's like, that's amazing right there. She put a penny in. Everybody's like, because everybody else was bringing their bag of money. Remember, it was coins that day. They didn't have paper money. They had coins, right? And they would pour their coins into the offering box so you could hear it. So you'd be in service and you'd hear, and you'd be like, whoa. Oh, look, Matt brought a big Joe. Oh, he's a big giver, good, righteous man. The widow just walks up. And she's like, I didn't hear anything. No, you put a cheap, lightweight coin. And Jesus said she gave from her heart everything she had. And that's amazing faith. The rest of you, you act like you're giving God a ton, but you just give him the leftovers. 
Like, these are the stories of our Bible. I'm not, they're there. And so Paul's writing, he's like, look, don't just do things because you're being watched, because you're afraid you're going to get in trouble. Do it because you understand that you've been reconciled to God and you get to be his representative in the world. Going on, he says in verse 10, for we must all appear before the tribunal or the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. Therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade people. We are completely open before God, and I hope we are completely open to your consciences as well. When you think about having to appear before the judgment of a judge, and you know you're guilty, like you know you've broken the law, you know you're going to have to stand before a judge because you've broken the law, what's your response going to be? See, here's the beauty. Because we know the fear of the Lord, that the fear of the Lord is that I don't get, everything has to be paid for. Nobody gets justice just swept under the rug. Somebody's got to pay the price. But since I understand and I fear God, I understand that Jesus paid the price for me. And so when I stand before the tribunal, the judgment seat of Christ, I don't have to be afraid. Let me repeat that. When I stand before the judgment seat of Christ someday with all of my sin, with all of my stupidity, with all of my mess, if I've invited him to come into my life, I'm not afraid. I'm, listen, if you're not afraid for just, you should be like a little bit afraid for a second. Everybody who saw God in the Bible fell down as dead men. Every time he appeared, they weren't like high-fiving Jesus, doing backflips. Every time an angel or God appears in the Bible, humans' response is they fall down dead. And God has to say, you're not dead, get up. Like that's every time. Read the stories. Nowhere is it like the angel or God appears and you're like, hey, buddy, good to see you. Yeah, like never happens. But the second, the next moment after they fall down, watch what God says to people. He always says, it's all right. I want to use you. I've come to you. I love you. Come follow me. It's in that moment that the ministry of reconciliation makes sense. That there are people running around this world that are going to have to stand before God afraid for their lives, which is a proper response, but it should only be a proper response for a second. Because after that response is God saying, it's okay. I love you because you've repented. You knew that you were going to fall in front of me and you cried out to me. It's the beauty of having a loving father versus a, an unkind judge. A loving father says, look, I have to punish you. I have to, I have to make this right. I have to reconcile things and make them right. But I'm going to take it on myself, son. And what would be your response to a father that did that? Would it be like, hey, thanks, Dad, I'll be back next week to have you do some more stuff to take care of because I'm a mess? Is, would that be your response? Or would your response be one of surrender and love and care? See, that's the issue that we have to come to when it comes to the ministry of reconciliation because someday, ready for this? Someday the trumpet's going to blow, the Bible says, and Christ is going to come back. The trumpet's going to blow and Christ will come back for you and for me. There's going to be a moment. Now, right now we are celebrating Rosh Hashanah. Okay, the week before is Rosh Hashanah. It's the Jewish New Year. Okay, after Rosh Hashanah is Yom Kippur. Tomorrow, tomorrow is Yom Kippur. You know what Yom Kippur is? It's the Day of Atonement. It's the day that we celebrate in culture that Jesus has died and paid the price, that God has paid the price that we deserve for our sins. Does that make sense? That's Yom Kippur. Do you guys even know that that's a part of Scripture? Do you even know that the priest would go in one time a year to offer sacrifices for all the sins of the world? That he would offer his peace and his sacrifice so that the, 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 the people could have reconciliation so they could feel the comfort of God in the midst of the mess of their culture and their lives. That's what Yom Kippur is. It's a picture of Christ. And tomorrow is Yom Kippur. The Jewish people are going to celebrate God reconciling, God doing all these things, and they don't even know their Messiah, Jesus. Which is crazy if you think about it. But what about us? You're going to be punished for sure 
Do you understand? In the Bible, it says everyone will be punished. All of us will have to deal with the reality and the judgment of Christ. Every single one. You, me, everybody will have to deal with it. Now, here's the key. When you stand, if you are a believer, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, when you stand before him, here's what's going to happen. He's going to burn away all the stuff that you did that were wrong. He's going to take on all the things that were evil and wrong and that were done. Does that make sense? He's going to take care of all of it. And then what he's going to do, and this is critical, what he's going to do is he's then going to reward you for all that he did through your life. Does that make sense? All of it. He's going to reward you for what you've done through your life. That's what will happen. You'll, you'll be paid for and you'll be rewarded. Does that make sense? But see, we only see one side or the other. And we only talk about one side or the other. So we only see the side of like reward. Does that make sense? Like, like we only see the side of, well, God's just going to love me. He's going to reward me because I prayed to receive him and it's all, nope. And we see the side of judgment. We see the side of judgment being like, well, I've done nothing for God. And God's going to say, no, no, no. He has actually done both good and bad in your life if you know him. If that makes sense. So that's what God is going to do in your life and in my life in the ministry of reconciliation. Look at 1 Corinthians. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3, 12. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, or costly coins, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. Do you see that? It will test the quality of each one's work every time. You see, the Bible was destroyed the first time, or the world was destroyed the first time in Scripture through what? Flood. God says the second time the Bible says will be destroyed by fire, and it's all through the Scriptures. The second time it will be destroyed by fire. And you know what fire does? It purifies. We use fire for all kinds of, the only way you get energy is if there's a spark, if there's fire of some kind. That's where energy comes from. When we have solar panels, you know what that comes from? The sun is firing, sending that energy. We collect that energy from the fire. Like that's where it comes from. Do you want to know why we have wind? Because there's cold and warm and it causes winds, fire. So at the end of the day, Paul is saying, look, What foundation are you going to build on? Are you going to build on a foundation of reconciliation? You've been reconciled back to God. Are you going to build on a foundation that has no desire but your own? And he said, it's going to be revealed and the quality of your work. He goes on to say this. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If you are a Christian, you should be so excited about getting to heaven, like more excited than Christmas. More excited than Christmas. Like you should be like, oh, I cannot wait for God to show me all that he got me for Christmas. All he did through me. Like I don't deserve any of it. I'm an idiot son. Like I don't clean the house right. I wrecked the car. I cost my parents all these medical bills. I don't really produce much because I don't really have, but man, when I get there someday, he's going to show me how awesome he is and how much he loves me and just wants to say, I love you. Thank you for being a part of the family and representing our family name. Wow. And if that isn't your heart, then you're missing what has happened in your life and your identity in Christ and you're missing what God wants to do in your life. He goes on and he says this, if anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved. Yet it will be like an escape through the fire. There are some of you sitting here today that when you meet God someday, you're going to be saved. You're going to get into heaven, but it is going to be with your rear end on fire. I mean, barely. It, it's going to be like, there's, you're, like you're in, you, you trusted Christ, but boy, nobody knew it. Like, it's, whew, whew, you made it. Whew, you know, thanks for making it. And Jesus said, well, you made it. Have a welcome. <laughs> Do I get any rewards? Nope. I, you didn't participate with me in like anything. But I saved you because I'm awesome and I want everybody to see that I even saved idiots like you. 
See, it's all the credit to Jesus. And that's exactly what we see here. He goes on to say this. In Matthew, I mean, Jesus says this, every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. I don't know who you are. You never obeyed me. You didn't even care what I had to say. Like, you act like, I'm rec- like we're good. We're reconciled. Everything's fine. You act like it's all good, but... You don't care about anything I ask you to do. That shows that you're not reconciled. Because if you have a relationship with someone that you know you've wronged them, and they know you've wronged them, and then you come together to find like commitment and peace in that, and you come together and say, okay, we know this, and you, you bring it, you don't then like not listen to the person from that point on. There's a desire to say, I don't want to hurt them again. So so what do they want? Because I don't want to hurt them again. And yet we don't even know what Christ wants. He goes on, 2 Corinthians, Paul says, We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in the outward appearance rather than the heart. Paul's saying, look, there's a lot of people running around that are like, look at Jesus. He's flipping over tables. Look at, look at, look, look, look how awesome. Like, look at all the great stuff. And Paul's like, yeah, when you look at my life, you see shipwrecks and sickness and you see problems and I've been beaten. I've, I've had all these things happen to me. There's really nothing from my outer appearance. The reason we call Paul Paul instead of his real name Saul is that most scholars believe Paul was a nickname for Shorty. So whenever you call him Paul, you're literally going Shorty. For thousands of years, the church is like shorty, 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 shorty. When we say Paul, his name is Saul. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God changed Saul's name to Paul. It's not in there. Try to find it. Not there. Literally, they started calling him by his nickname Shorty and it stuck and he's like, well, I'm short, so I'll take it. And we're still doing it and it's fine. And Paul's like, look, I know the outward appearance. I'm shorty. I don't, I don't yeah, I get it. But man... You can test my heart, Paul says. We've commended ourselves to you. Look at our heart for you. Look at our heart for the church. Look at our heart for God. Look at what we're willing to go through. I am telling you, we've been reconciled and we're trying to reconcile people to him. First Samuel says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance. This is in the Old Testament when Israel wanted a king or his stature because I've rejected him. Man does not see what the Lord sees for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. You see, so many times we think that people don't want to be reconciled to God. It's one of the biggest lies of our culture. Oh, they don't need Jesus. They don't want Jesus. No, everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs reconciliation. Everyone needs to be reconciled to God. Everyone. Every single person. And you don't know if the outward appearance of someone is that they're just covering up for what they inwardly know. So outwardly, they look like they have it all together and everything else. But when they lay their head on the pillow at night, they are miserable because they know they're so far from God. And they've tried to find comfort all day long in their money and relationships and their education and everything else. And they've come to the end of their day and realized, I have no comfort. I'm a miserable wreck. They look great on the outside. And then you see people that look awful on the outside. No, they're probably open to Jesus. And then you talk to them and realize they are hard of heart. I mean, that's this town. There are so many people in this town that have nothing. They're addicts. They're in a mess. We partner with two addiction ministries. I am telling you, the hardness of heart that you see of people who have absolutely nothing. I mean nothing. And they'll still stand up to you and act like they have everything. And you're just like, what planet are you on? You're a complete train wreck. You've wrecked every relationship. Your body's a wreck. You're dying. And you're still hard of heart? Yeah. You see, we want to judge the outward appearance. God says, don't do that. Look for the heart. Proverbs says, guard your heart above else for all else, for it is the source of life. All these other things we find life in, no, your heart surrendered to God. Luke says, for out of the mouth, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. What do you talk about? Do you talk about how you've been reconciled to God, how God has made you new? Do you tell people their need for reconciliation? 
Paul goes on to say, he says, for if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we have a sound mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. This isn't a salvation for everyone. He's saying, if one died for all, then everybody has to make a decision about that one. That's the only way to be reconciled. That's the only, listen, there's only two accounts. Your account that's bankrupt and Jesus' account that's eternal and forever infinitely wealthy. Two accounts. And when they're reconciled together, if you're not on Jesus' account, you're in trouble. That's what that means. And there are people who believe that they're going to stand before God one day and they're going to take their, their measly works and they're going to go, look, my, my goods outweigh my bads, right, God? And he's going to be like, oh, no, 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 you were way worse than you think you are. And instead of just him looking at your works, what God is going to do is he's going to go, let's talk about your heart not the works. Let's see why the works led, came from your heart. Doesn't look like you have a heart for me at all. Looks like you have a heart for a lot of other stuff. And man, is that going to be a sad day. And then he says this, he said, and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. In other words, if you understand the ministry of reconciliation, if you understand what God's done for you, then you want to live for him. You want to thank him. You want to be grateful to him. And then he says, but, the, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Again, you recognize that I have to die so that I can be raised. The process of getting out of this life is not to live a good life. The process of getting out of this life is to live a surrendered life to Jesus, die to myself so that I can live forever with him. And Jesus does it for me. It's not works that I'm saved by, it's him. But then I participate in the process. He says, from now on then, look at this. We do not know anyone in a purely human way. Stop looking at people the way you see them and start looking at people the way the Bible sees them. That they are wicked, they are lost, they are hopeless, they are deceivers, they're liars, they're cheats, and they've been created in the image of God and Jesus died for them. And they need to be changed. And the only way they can be changed is to be reconciled back in their account to God himself. Stop looking at people purely human. See the soul. And stop looking at yourself that way too. And then he says, even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know him in this way. You have to remember, Paul is actually writing, and this letter is being circulated to people who actually saw Jesus with their own eyes. So when he says, you knew Jesus in a purely human way, he's saying, I know thousands of you, because Jesus had thousands of people that saw him. Thousands of you saw the, the, the human Jesus teaching, healing, doing stuff. I get that. That ain't the real Jesus. That's not the full Jesus. <laughs> that was Jesus in the flesh. Now his flesh is gone, and he is now glorified Jesus. And Paul says, don't just know him as, yeah, I knew Jesus. I hung out with him. It was great. Yeah, he healed me. No, 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 no. He's the God of the universe. It's not just about these human relationships. There's something much deeper and bigger. Paul goes on and says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means has a relationship with him, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and look, new things have come. Most of you are not seeing the new things in Christ happen in your life, number one, because you really don't know Christ, you've never surrendered to him, or number two, because you've come to know Christ, but you don't understand that you don't have to stay the way you are. That God gives you a church, he gives you relationships, he gives you his word, he gives the Holy Spirit, he gives you all of these tools so that you don't have to stay the miserable wreck you are, but you can be transformed and changed and most of us just want to stay the miserable wreck we are. God's like, I got so much better for you. But you got to trust me, he says. And then he says, here it is. Everything is from God. Do you believe that? I don't know what kind of home you were raised in. It may have been awful. I don't know how many deaths you've experienced in your life. I don't know how many sicknesses. I don't know the problems you've been through. I don't know. But I, I can tell you that God allows everything. Every, it doesn't mean he causes everything. God allows human free will to make the mess because God says, I already have a plan. It's already set to clean it all up. And that doesn't mean he excuses it. He doesn't excuse the mess. 
he calls it out. And he says, therefore, if you are in Christ, new things have come and everything is from God. Believe that. And then he says, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you say you know Jesus, it is not an option of whether you get the ministry of reconciliation or not. Not an option. The only reason God has left you here, I've said this numerous times, you've heard this, you will be able to pray better in heaven. You will be able to live a better life in heaven because you won't sin. You will be able to worship better in heaven because, man, that's going to be awesome, right? You're gonna, I mean, you're going to be able to do everything in Christianity that you wish you did better. You're going to do perfectly in heaven, except one thing, the ministry of reconciliation. Because no one will need to be reconciled in heaven because it's all finished. The only reason God has left you here and allows you to experience all the everythings that are from God is because he's trying to put you on display, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, to tell the world, you can trust me. Look at what a wreck Matt is. <laughs> if I can use that guy, if I can change him, if, if people still love him and work with him and care for him and can, like, there's hope for you. That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants, that, that you have this ministry of reconciliation that says, I'm a wreck. And God's like, I know. That's why other people are a wreck and they need to see a wreck. That's the point. He goes on and he says, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed this message of reconciliation to us. The only message that you have on this side of eternity that you won't have on the other one is the ministry of reconciliation. It's telling people you can reconcile yourself to God. There's an accounting that's coming and you are bankrupt. You need Christ. It's the only thing we have to do. It's the only reason God left you here. And the reason he does it is because he wants you to learn about him through the process. Ephesians says this, you took off your former way of life, the old self that's corrupted by deceitful desires, and you're being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. He's like, there's a process of you got to change clothes. You stink. You got to take off and put on. <laughs> right? And that's your responsibility. God's not coming to dress you. He's like, here's the clothes. I can help you, but you got to participate in getting dressed. And if you keep stripping down naked and running around the house, i got to stop you, right? If you keep ripping your diaper off, I'm going to duct tape it to you. That's what we're going to do. Any parent here is like, oh, yeah, amen, amen, right? If you've ever had a kid that rips off their diaper and plays with their poop and does all kinds of stuff and ruins your house, which we've had before in our house, you get the duct tape out. It's just simple. Good luck. I'll cut it off with scissors. We'll be fine. God wants us to willingly participate with him willingly participate in putting on him. Look at what Jeremiah says. The heart is made deceit, is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? God. That's who can understand it. And then he says, I, Yahweh, examine the mind. I test the heart to give each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. You are going to be given according to your actions. If you have made the action of trusting Jesus, you will be given eternal life. It's a free gift. And the actions that you've allowed Christ to do through you because you've been surrendered to his free gift, you will be rewarded in heaven for because he did it. Like there's no lose here, people. It's just win-win. And yet we see everything around us as, oh, this is so hard, I'm losing. No, you're not. Paul goes on to say this, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is a foreign agent in a foreign land that represents their foreign land at the cost of his own life. He understands he's in an outpost and he has limited protection against the resources of the country that he's in. And if that country wants him dead, they'll just bomb the embassy and he's toast. We just had that happen a few years ago in Benghazi. See, an ambassador understands that their role, this isn't my home. I'm not going to get comfortable here. This is a foreign land. Now, I'm going to try to bring reconciliation between the two nations. I'm going to try. But you know what? 
I represent my nation and my nation is first and my nation is boss and you're going to have to surrender to that. That's what an ambassador does at threat of war. And an ambassador does not sign treaties that are not approved of by the Congress, by the nation. If he does, he's treasonous and he'll be killed for treason. And so many of us are running around signing treaties with the world, trying to keep the peace, and God is in heaven going, what are you doing? Don't tolerate that. That doesn't mean you have to blow them up or go to war. I'm going to take care of that. You just tell them, look, I'm an ambassador. I got no army. I can't call down the armies. Like, Congress has to vote for that. But if you attack me, God's going to hold you accountable for that. Just saying. He goes on and he says, if you understand that you're an ambassador, do you understand that it is certain that God is appealing through you, through us as the body? We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. When was the last time you pleaded with someone because you loved them so deeply, you so cared about them, you were so concerned about their salvation that you pleaded with them and said, I, look, I love you. You've got to be reconciled to God. You've got to make, it, you've got to make your mind up about whether Jesus is real or not. When was the last time you pleaded with God, like you went to God and pleaded for the soul and the salvation of, a, of someone you know? Where you just wept before God and said, God, save them. Because they're going to perish. And they're hurting people. When was the last time you were like, man, I get to appeal to the, to the Lord of the universe on behalf of people. And then I get to tell them that I appealed for them. I get to say, I, I appealed to God for you. I'm going to continue to appeal for God for you. I don't believe all that stuff. I know you don't, but I love you, and I'm not going to stop. And if you want me to stop appealing for you, then just take me out, because I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep appealing. And I'm not going to do it meanly and rudely, and I'm not going to bash you over the head because you're not a good person. They can't be a good person. You know why? They don't know Jesus. They don't have the power to be a good person. He goes on and he says, he made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin, who never sinned, to take on our sin on the outside of himself so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus paid the price because he knew that all the stuff in the Old Testament could never make people right. He knew the only way to make people right was a perfect sacrifice. And there is no perfect sacrifice on this earth. So Jesus took on human flesh and became the perfect sacrifice. He paid the price in your place that you deserve. I've given this analogy before as we kind of go through these last several couple of slides here. If you walked into a courtroom and you knew you were guilty and you knew that the judge is a just and he's going to drop the gavel and he says guilty and you're like, oh no, now I have to pay the price. There was, there's no appeal. It's been decided and you're guilty of like it's a death penalty. Boom, I'm, I'm done. And then the judge gets up as the bailiffs are walking by and the judge gets up and he says, stop. And the judge says, young man, here's the deal. It's very simple. I am the God of the universe. I'm the judge of all judges. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pay the price for you because I can come back to life, but you can't yet. But if you embrace this, then you're going to take on the ministry of reconciliation. And so the judge says, put the chains on me. Now, you have a choice to make. You can say, no, I don't want that kind of weight. I don't want to have to, that kind of responsibility. I don't want to make that kind of decision to give up my life. I got plans. I got things to do. Well, you're going to jail. Yeah, but I got plans to do in jail. I got stuff I'm going to be about. Okay. The shackles go on the judge, and the judge takes off his robe, and he puts it over you, and he says, now sit on the bench for the next person that walks in and tell them what I did for you and be willing to do it just like I did for you as a model to who I am. That's the gospel. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Second Timothy says, know this, difficult times will come in the last days. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, in other words, they won't be reconciled. Slanders without self-control, brutal without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power, avoid these people. Boy, that's our culture. Like, now, it doesn't mean you avoid them as you don't share the ministry of reconciliation. It means don't be reconciled with them. Don't act like we're all good. No, we're not good. And then he says, look, 
But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, along with all the persecutions and sufferings. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. If you've not been persecuted yet because of your faith, then you're not doing the ministry of reconciliation because people don't want to be told they're wrong and told they need to be reconciled. You will make enemies as a Christian. That's not your goal. Your goal isn't to try to be like prideful and arrogant. Look at how many enemies I have. That is not your goal. But if you don't, if, if that isn't a rub for you, you need to kind of look at your heart and say, what am I protecting? What am I, what am I afraid of losing that I'm not willing to just have honest conversations and suffer the consequences of those conversations? Because that's exactly what he says here. You're going to be persecuted. It's not an option. He goes on to say this, Paul writes to Timothy, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and be deceived. But as for you, continue what you've learned and firmly believe. You know those who taught you, and you know that from childhood you've known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work, for the ministry of reconciliation. If you don't know your Bible, you're not going to do the ministry of reconciliation. You're going to do the ministry of reconciling people back to you because you're afraid of what they're going to think about you and you don't want to be persecuted. You want them to like you. So you're going to have the ministry of, of reconciling people back to Matt or the ministry of reconciling people back to FX Church or the ministry of something else, not reconciling people back to God. It's going to fall short. Paul goes on and says, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, proclaim the message, persist in it, whether convenient or not, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come where they will not tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, they'll multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. They want to see backflip Jesus. We can change this story up. Jesus doesn't have to make a whip and hurt us. He can just do backflips in church because he's so happy with us. And he goes on, he says, they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. The myth of backflipping Jesus. That did not happen. But as for you, be serious about everything. Endure hardship and do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. What ministry? The ministry of reconciliation. And then Paul wraps up and he says this in 6.1. Working together with him, we also appeal to you. So Paul's like, look, we're appealing for people out there to be reconciled. Tune in right here. But Paul says, don't think this is about all of them out there. I'm appealing to you to be about the ministry of reconciliation in the body of Christ. Can I just tell you, I wish the church cared about reconciliation today. We got people that will run from church to church all the time because when they start to be reconciled back to God, they start to be confronted, rebuked, corrected for sin, they run to another church. And those churches will gather together and not even care that they've got people in their, in their churches that have been married to one another three or four times in separate churches and never confronted for it. There's been no reconciliation. There's been no redemption. There's been no brokenness. There's been no healing. And they're going to stand and all worship together? Are you kidding me? Do you think God's in heaven going, yeah, great job. I think he's in heaven going, what are you doing? Reconcile back to me. Don't just get around and seem, like be reconciled to me. Confront one another. It's amazing to me. You'll go to large Christian events and people will be flying pride flags at the event and no one will confront them. No one will look at them and say, oh, don't. Don't do that. Do you understand how broken that is? God doesn't want you to be proud. He wants you to be humble. He wants you to do sexuality his way, not, not your way or what the world says. And I'm just telling you that because I love you. And this is an event where we're going to stand up against that because that's not proper. Most of our big Christian events, there's no fasting. There's no call to repentance. Even if you get the word hell mentioned, it's a miracle. Because we really don't want people reconciled. We just want people happy so they'll give money. Because when people are happy, they drink more and they spend more. Ask any bar owner. You start confronting people and saying, no, nope, you've had too much to drink. They don't look at you and go, oh, thank you so much. I was waiting for someone to stop me from drinking. I'm so thankful. Oh, I'm going to go home now and rest. 
What do they do? They go to another bar. They, they chew out the bartender and then they go to another bar. And the other bar's like, here you go. I don't know how much you've drank. And then they kill somebody and then they didn't want to hold all the bartenders accountable. Because that just happened in this town recently. If you didn't know. Where's the person? Where are the friends that are like, don't do this. What are, no, this is not what God wants. He wants you to be reconciled to him. Now, I'm not just bashing drinking. Jesus drank, just so you know. But he never got buzzed, not once. He was never inebriated, not once. And I'm sure he would have drank water because it was cheaper, but water was very dangerous to drink in that day, so they had to ferment it so they could like, not kill themselves because of bacteria. Again, I'm not against drinking. I'm just saying, where are the people where we're like stepping in and helping instead of the other? This morning, we're going to celebrate communion. This is the ultimate act of reconciliation. It is the picture of what Jesus did in his body and blood to give himself to you. And for you to go out and tell people that there is a Savior who died for you. In the Old Testament, we looked at this last week, there are these feasts three times a year. You see the one, two, and the three. The people of God were required to leave everything and travel to Jerusalem and make the sacrifices and honor God and worship Him. Three times a year, all the men, all the males, would have to travel on behalf of their family, on, the, on behalf of their forefathers, and they would have to make these sacrifices so that hopefully we would be reconciled back to God. Passover was Jesus. He died at Passover. It wasn't Easter, it was Passover. He was the Passover lamb. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's where they would clean out all the yeast, which represented sin in their home for a number of days. And then they would bring in the harvest at that time, the small harvest they have. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came, he was the Passover lamb. He started to change the sin. People got the sin out of their life and he started reaching people the first time. And then you have the feast of harvest or Shabbat. That is Pentecost in the book of Acts where 3,000 people came to Jesus in the same day. Now we live in the next portion, which is the Feast of Trumpets, that's where we're waiting for Jesus to come back. The trumpet's going to blow. And when it does, his full atonement will come to pay for everything. And then we will eat at his banquet table on a new earth and a new heaven forever. It is a picture. This table represents that perfectly. That he is our Passover, but someday this little small table we eat from, <laughs> it's going to be huge. And this is just a morsel, a taste, a reminder of what we've been given so that we can give everything to him. Because that's what it's about, because he's going to give everything back to us. So this is enough. I don't need any more than this. He loves me. He's given his life for me. He is faithful to me. And someday he's going to call me home. I'm going to stand before him, scared out of my mind, and he's going to say, it's okay, Matt. I'm going to burn away all that garbage. I'm going to show you what I did. And we are going to eat together forever. What a picture. Let me ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? Have you surrendered to him? Have you given your life, as Paul says, have you given your life? Because look, today is now the acceptable time for salvation. Today. Don't wait. Be reconciled to God today. And when you leave here today after taking this, don't just take this as a personal, oh, I feel better. Take this as a reality that, yes, I feel better. And man, I can give thanks and I am grateful for what Christ has done. But I've got a mission. God wants me to go out and tell people that even in their mess, he's there. He wants them to be reconciled back to him. And that's my message. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for communion and the Lord's Supper and what it represents. I thank you that you are gracious to us. You are kind. You are good. That you've given us reconciliation and you've given us the ministry of reconciliation. So Lord, I pray that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, your supper that you gave when you said, this is my body and you broke it and gave thanks that we would see that you did this for us. When you shed your blood, you said, this is the blood of the new covenant that no longer do we have to do the sacrifices of the Old Testament, but you give us a new covenant. We just need to look to you and understand how everything in the Old Testament pointed to you so that we can reconcile people back to you. 
So this morning, Lord, if anyone has not trusted you, I pray today would be the day. I also pray that if anyone's not ready to take communion, Lord, I pray that they would examine their heart. But Lord, I pray they wouldn't hold on to sin or hold on to bitterness. I pray they would release it and come right up here to this table and be reconciled to you in their heart. Because you don't want us to be miserable. You want us to have joy and give thanks. And that's what this table is. So we praise you and we thank you in your name. Amen.